0: Good morning, Um, glad to be back with you for a while. It's been a while since I've uh, been able to to be here, so uh, we're going to pick up on Mark chapter 2 and 3 and try to finish up what we got started when I left here the last time. So, um, if you turn to Mark chapter 2, you're going to find that there's several sections that we want to talk about. The first one, was the paralytic and the roof incident. This is one of my favorite stories, or one of my favorite events that Jesus walked through. (coughs) Uh, (coughs) We find out, as we start reading, that he was home in Capernaum. So that was his house that he was at. And uh, when you go to Luke chapter 5, you'll read that all the people were there, were Pharisees and scribes. There was a lot of them there. The house was full of Pharisees and scribes. And they came from all over because of the work that Jesus had been doing. Um, If you look, uh, we also see in in, uh, Luke chapter 5 that the power to heal was present with Jesus while he was in the house. And um, in that process, uh, there was four guys that wanted to get a friend in to heal. Uh, he had a major problem some sort. He was paralyzed. And so they get together, and they get up on the roof and chop a hole in the roof. Now, uh, when this happened, <coughs> pardon me, when this happened, we're going to see a lot of things that Jesus talks about, and we're going to find out some of the various things that he does uh, that upsets the Pharisees. So now, These people chop a hole in the roof, and of course everybody looks, and Jesus made this incredible statement, and this is one thing that starts the Pharisees' ball rolling, you might say. Um, He said, he saw their faith, and he forgave their sins. Now, in the process of doing that, uh, the Pharisees started thinking, uh, how can he say this? Only God can forgive sins, but it's interesting uh, that a word of knowledge came, uh, we find that uh, Jesus knew what they were thinking and he called them out on it. Great line, which is easier to do to say, uh, your sins are forgiven or you know pick up your mat and walk. And clearly, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. So Jesus calls them out and he says, "Not only are your sins forgiven, but just so you'll know I have authority to do this, He healed the guy right there. Now, people were amazed, but what is it about this event that set the Pharisees off so much? One of the things you want to look at, Jesus begins changing the paradigm of how they view God. One of the more interesting things is here, if you think about it, Jesus just shows up and he's got all these people following him because he's doing these miracles. Now, in the process of doing the miracles people don't know how he's doing this. Why is this happening? What's going on? What is the reason that all of these things are happening? And what you find out is that the Pharisees, now there's a lot of good Pharisees. We can see that uh, Nicodemus, they had Pharisees come and warn him that he was going to be killed. And, And so there's a lot of good Pharisees. And here we have a mixture of good and bad Pharisees, of course, some people are here. But what Jesus is doing is turning their religion upside down. They've never heard anything like this. And if you think about it, for 400 years, you know, they've been following the written rules, uh, following Moses, and what they tend to do was to add things to it. Uh, in other words, add a lot of rules. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. you got to go there. you got to do this. And Jesus is turning that rule-setting theory up on his head. Now, um, he goes on and he moves on from here. And one of the more interesting things to think about, as you watch him move through the book of Mark, I want you to just think like a Pharisee for a minute and think, this is turning, I've never heard anything like this. Everything I've ever believed about God is now off to the side. So this was a tough thing for him to learn. This is, this is a tough thing for him to deal with. Now, if you get down to, the, uh, right after that, in Mark chapter 2, verse 18, uh, we get, or pardon me, verse 13, we get the call of Matthew, which is an interesting thing. Um, it says the whole crowd was coming to him and he taught them all. Um, People were flocking to see this guy. Would you not want to see a guy that chopped a hole in the roof and and healed a guy coming down? The second thing is, would you have the kind of courage it takes to go chop a hole in the roof to bring a guy there? Do you see anybody anywhere in our churches today that are doing this kind of thing? Somebody has so much faith that God's going to heal them. They, They have so much faith in it, That they're actually bringing people in to be healed. If it is happening, it's not happening in very many churches. Not happening in a lot of places. Okay? Now, people are following him. Uh, He taught them, and people are following from all over. Uh, If you get down and you look, and you can see later on, if you, if you follow the map, if you look at Jerusalem, they're coming from all over. The, they're coming from places that were 80, 90 miles away. Now, how did they hear about him? How, how did what he's doing spread that fast to these places when they didn't have text, they didn't have Twitter, they didn't have Facebook? It's word of mouth, and it's traveling fast. So people are coming from over 100 miles. They're walking three, four days on dusty roads to get to the place that they think he is. So this is powerful stuff. Now, think about this for a minute. He sees Levi, and if you go down to verse 14, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's station, and he said, follow me. And Levi, who we know as Matthew, got up and followed him. Now, my question is, what is it that is in his voice? What is it about him that, you, that you're there at your job? It's Say it's 11 o'clock in the morning. Lunch is an hour. You just had a meeting with the boss. This guy comes up and says, follow me, and you just leave everything. You don't clock out. You don't tell the boss. You just get up and go follow the guy. There is something going on in his voice, in his mannerisms, that are enabling people to just drop everything to go be with him. Now, we want to search out and find out a little bit more about that. Find out what is it that's, that's uh, allowed him to do that. Now, word gets out that Matthew has got Jesus coming over to dinner. He comes over to dinner. And when he gets there, there's all kinds of people there. There's prostitutes, probably drug addicts. There's there's tax collectors. There's just a lot of people there that you wouldn't see in church, at least in their church. Now, um, the Pharisees get upset about it. Oh, doesn't your teacher know who these people are? And Jesus has a great line. He tells them, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that it's the sick people that need a doctor. It's not the well people. So that gives me great courage because I go back and look at my past and I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was sick. I was one of these people. And, and when, when I heard what Jesus was actually doing, not what religion said he would do, but what he was actually doing, uh, he changed my heart. And that, that made a, a, an incredible difference in my whole being. Um, one of the things that you'll find out here is that through all of these healings and these miracles, it's God received glory. Now, uh, glory is a word we don't use in regular English all the time. So my question is, what does it mean? And I, And I asked my pastor that, David Holt. And David gave me a a description, a a definition of glory that I've never forgotten. And he says, uh, to glorify God means to fully reveal God's character and likeness. So what he was doing, what this man was doing, uh, revealed God's likeness and his character. Uh, You can go to the book of John and find out Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you want to know what God would do in any particular situation, go see what Jesus did. That's what God was doing. Okay? Now, he gets back to these people, uh, and and Matthew adds one thing to this story. He says, I desire mercy and not not sacrifice. So what does it mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice? Um, How do you exercise mercy... To when you're dealing with people. And that's what Jesus did here. Uh, when all these, all these street people, all, the, all the, the, the bad people that the Pharisees don't want anything to do with, they can't get into church, when they find out that Jesus loves them uh, and they get in there, they find out that he's full of mercy. Uh, and we'll see that as we go through the book of Mark in many different places. But right here, just keep that in mind, that he desires mercy and not sacrifice. Now, he goes on from there, and they run into a question about fasting. Certainly not one of my strong suits. I don't fast. Uh, I need to, but I'm I mean, just be honest with you. I haven't fasted much in my life. But he goes on, and, he, and the Pharisees uh, are watching these guys, and he says, why don't your guys fast when the Pharisees are fasting, why does not this happen? And um, Jesus comes up with something that addresses a lot of issues, but I think it takes time to absorb it. He says, um, "In fact, let's go down and look at. Uh, let's see, verse 24." Yeah, I want to go down to verse 24. He went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. As they went, the disciples picked the heads of grain. Well, it's on the Sabbath. Uh, That's one thing you'll find out. Jesus is just as consistent as wet water. Every time he does something, it's on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees are always looking at it. You can't work on the Sabbath. So like plucking grain in their eyes was work. Um, Why are they doing on the Sabbath what's not lawful? Well, Jesus calls them out on that and talks about David and and the priest Abiathar. And he says, uh, this is what David did, and this is what my people are doing. Now, he goes through and he says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Again, he's turning the, the paradigm upside down. He's telling the, the Pharisees, in essence, the rules you have are not the right rules. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And um, they don't like it. They don't like it at all. And we're going to see as we move into chapter 3, we're going to see that where he gets in trouble. Now, again, it's on the Sabbath where this happens. Now, That covers chapter 2. We've gone over this. And as he's leaving chapter 2, I want you to remember that what he's doing is trying to have a changed paradigm. He's not doing the same thing that the Pharisees are. He's walking on a different path than they are. Now, if you go to chapter 3 and you look at chapter 3, again, he entered the synagogue and there was a man with a withered hand. Okay. And guess when this happened? Take a guess. You got seven choices. It was on the Sabbath. wasn't on Friday. It wasn't on Monday. It was on the Sabbath. So they watched to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. They're not getting the message. All they're getting is offended. And you you you'll see that later on. Jesus said uh, that he couldn't heal people because they were, they were getting offended at him. And in this case. Um, They're offended because he's trying to heal a guy on the Sabbath. Now, when Jesus brings this up, when he starts talking to these people and he says, they watched to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, he calls the man out and says, stand up. I want you to stand up. So he does. And Jesus asks him a question. It's a loaded question. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Or to do evil? Well, you would think the answer is simple. But verse 5, When he looked around at them with anger, being grieved at their hardness of heart, because they didn't answer him. They were silent. Now how can you be silent on such an important question as this? I don't know why they were silent. Jesus says it was their hardness of heart. What is the hardness of heart? Uh, Have you ever had to deal with a hardness of heart? Well, a hardness of heart comes when you set aside God's priorities and you begin pursuing your own, and you don't really care what happens to someone else. In this case, these people are not concerned about the withered hand. They are concerned about whether he breaks the rules on the Sabbath. That's what gets him in trouble. Now at this point he says they were grieved at their hardness of heart and he called the man forward stretch forth your hand he stretched it out and the hand was restored just like the other one. Now the Pharisees immediately went out and took up with counsel with the Herodians against him how to kill him. So what is it that he's done that promotes them to want to kill him. This isn't something that you need to be aware of and you need to focus on. Doing what's right and teaching the gospel has consequences. And in this case, Jesus is crossing a line that the Pharisees do not want him to cross. They are telling him that they're going to kill him because he's basically trashing their religious rules. Now, what's Jesus' response to all of this? What, what does he do? And, and there's, there's a, a lot of other things we could talk about, but what does he do in response to this type of treatment, this type of activity from the Pharisees? If you follow him through Mark, which we're going to do, you'll find out he just keeps doing the same thing that he's doing here. He says, I'm going to do what the Father tells me to do, not necessarily what you want me to do. And, um, and as a result, people are, are they're, they're excited about it. A lot of people are amazed, but a lot of people are not happy with it. Now, have you ever been to a place, have you ever seen uh, this type of, of meeting where people are getting healed, all kinds of miracles are happening. Um, I can tell you for sure. Uh, my wife and I, in the in the in the in the late 70s and early 80s, uh, were in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We went there, and I went, and we both were at Oral Roberts University, and uh, we were working there, and um, we spent a lot of time with Kenneth Hagin's ministry because he was also in Tulsa. Uh, T.L. Osborne was also in Tulsa, and um, We watched, we would go to services, and you would see people get healed. You'd see the Holy Spirit launch out, and you'd see the Holy Spirit moving on people. And a lot of people got really offended because they said, Well, that's not God. God wouldn't wouldn't do the things that these people are doing. And yet, you knew it was God. Uh, Oral Oral Roberts University, they have the prayer tower and their uh, little basketball arena is called the Maybe Center and at that time uh, we were there when um, there was a minister uh, from Texas he's he's passed away I think in the the late 80's early 90's John Osteen and there's 10,000 people in this stadium in this basketball arena and John Osteen starts talking and he starts telling but it's like the Holy Spirit just lit up what He was saying, and I saw ten thousand people just rolling in the aisles with laughter. It was the it was the most joyous time I've ever seen. Because no matter what Osteen did, it turned out as a joke, and it's turned out funny. And the Holy and when you look around, you got ten thousand people that are just laughing beyond. Well, a lot of people say, well, that, that can't, that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that kind of thing. Well, I beg to differ with you. We've sat there and we've watched and we've seen it in modern times. If you go back to, back to the 50s, Oral Roberts and his tent, tent meetings had this type of activity. Catherine Kuhlman had same kind of meetings. Um, I know for a fact in Catherine Kuhlman's case, Uh, We would watch her on TV when I was a a boy. We'd watch her on TV, and I can still see her in that gown of hers, and she would throw her arms out, and she would just go like this, and something would happen someplace at somebody. Uh, She'd call out, so-and-so over here, um, you know, you've got a broken leg, it's healed, and, and we would see these types of healings. So this type of thing is happening, and the results of today are much the same as they were in Jesus' time. A lot of people followed them. A lot of people didn't like it. So, uh, as we go on from here, we'll see this uh, in the last part of this story. It's verse 11. Uh, When unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him, crying out, You are the Son of God. Okay? When was the last time that you were in a service and you saw... The power of God so powerful that demons were crying out. I can guarantee you, if you've got 100 people in the service, uh, there's probably 30 of them that got demons hanging around them and causing them problems. But they keep quiet because there's in some of these services, there's not much happening. Now, have you ever seen that happen? I happen to be, again, my pastor, David Holt, and uh, myself and our associate pastor, uh, went to Uganda for three years, and in Uganda, in the, in the capital city of Kampala, uh, there's a church, the Glorious Church of God of Christ, and that church held such powerful services that when we would go in, people, demonic expressions were everywhere, and nobody thought anything about it. Somebody was in the back of the place when my David would be teaching, and there's like 1,200 people there. And in the back, over here on this one side, this woman in the middle just started screaming and jumping up and down. Now, there's 1,200 people there. And when she started jumping up and down, uh, the, the pastor that was driving us back and forth to the hotel um, was sitting in the front with us. And, and I watched as, as they started screaming. People came and... and Helped her out of the place. And then later on, they brought her back in and she sat down. So on the way back to the hotel, I asked this pastor, Apollo, what was that deal with the woman in the back? And I'll never forget what he said. He goes, oh, it was just a demon. It was just a demon. No big deal. And he said, we have people that are trained when this happens to go get the person cast the demon out and lead him to the Lord. And that's what happened to that lady. So, I want to suggest to you that in order for the church to be what we're supposed to be, we need to get back to where we're comfortable, where we see these things happen and we ask the Lord to come in and deliver people. Because if if He doesn't deliver them, they don't get delivered. Okay? Now, There's another situation um, and that you'll find here. If you go down to verse 7 in chapter 3, after the Herodians have said they're going to kill him, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, Tyre, Sidon. It was a great crowd. And when they heard what great things he did, they came to him. Now, by the way, I'm using the uh, modern English version of the Bible. It's one of my favorite translations between it and the North, uh, New American Standard Bible. There's about the best two translations that I use. And, and here in the, uh, in the MEV says that these people followed him because they saw what, they heard what great things he did. Now, the question becomes this. These people, just think about this, these people were coming from all over, 80, 90, 100 miles away. If you see where he's teaching, you can see up here in Tyre and Sidon. You can see down here in Idumea. You can see over here in the Decapolis. You can see in Judah. These people are coming from all over. How did the word get out that fast? I just ask you to think about that and think in terms of is God actually? Do I actually see God doing these things in our churches now? Are we reaching out and we seeing uh, demonic behavior? Are we seeing people being delivered? Uh, that's what Jesus did. Uh, Neil Anderson, in in his book *The Bondage Breaker*, uh, talks about one of the problems that the church has in the United States is that most of the time we're only using one third of the gospel and. We teach salvation, we teach salvation, we teach salvation, got to get saved. Well, getting saved is certainly important, but there's other things that Jesus did. Uh, He told them, go lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Uh, He said that they'll speak with new tongues. He told them the things that they were required to do, and they went out and did them. And I suggest to you that if we started doing more of those types of things, uh, that we'd have less problems and we'd have more people coming to meet God. Because if Grandma's sick with COVID-19 and she's dying, they don't want you to tell them they need to get saved. They want to find out how to get Grandma well. So I'm just telling you that there's a, there's two-thirds of the Gospel and we're going to look at that through Mark, especially in uh, the next time we, we we get back together and we look at Mark chapter 4. Uh, we're going to see this. Uh, now, now, <coughs> He chose his twelve apostles. That's the next thing he does. He chooses his twelve apostles. You'll find out he goes up on the mountain and he prays and he comes back and he chooses his twelve apostles. Um, You'll find out that when Jesus goes and prays, he hears from the Holy Spirit. He hears from God. What's the next plan? What's the plan for that? Well, I want you to choose these twelve guys. So he comes down and chooses these twelve guys. And it's interesting that one of the twelve was Judas. Um, so Jesus picked the ones that the Lord told him to pick, and in doing that, um, he had his people around him that he's going to begin to teach how to, to uh, minister in the world. Now, the last part of uh, the, the, the the last part that we want to talk about here um, is Jesus and, and uh, Beelzebub. Beelzebub, however you want to pronounce it, uh, the Lord of the Flies. Um, Jesus comes together and His family says basically uh, He's gone off His rocker. He's nuts. And um, other people come to Him and down in verse 20 they entered a house, the crowd came, His family heard of it, and they said He's beside Himself. He's possessed by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons, and He casts out demons. Now, the Pharisees accuse him of casting out demons by, because Satan. Satan's casting out Satan. And Jesus tells them how ludicrous that is because uh, why would Satan cast his own people out? He wouldn't. And he's telling them, I say to you, he goes on and he, he brings up the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And he tells them that that sin will not be forgiven, but all the other sins will. And it's interesting. I don't think I've met a new Christian that doesn't think he's committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit at some point in time. What Jesus is talking about is these people were assigning the the things that God was doing, the things that the Holy Spirit was doing, they're assigning that to to Satan. And Jesus said, don't do that. that. You're walking in an area that you don't want to walk in when that happens. Now, The last part of chapter 3, he's talking about his mothers and brothers. And he said, the people that follow God and, and do what God says to do, that's when they follow. Those are my people. Those are the people. Those are my family. Those that follow Jesus. Now, so much for chapter 2 and 3. When we get together next, we'll, talk, we'll begin to, to move into the most important chapter in the book of Mark, in my opinion, one of the most important in the Bible is chapter 4, uh, the parable of the sower. So I thank you for your time. Have a great weekend and look to see you again.